0: So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to John's Gospel and I'm going to invite Wayne to come up and speak to us this morning. Thanks Wayne. Morning everybody, good to see you all. It's been a couple of weeks since we were in John and uh, just to remind us that the last, the last uh, message we were, we were in chapter 5, so we're in chapter 5 again today and uh, I thought I'd do something different this morning. What we've been able to do, uh, many of you know that Israel is pretty much a whole archaeological dig. The whole of the nation is an archaeological dig. You dig up something and you find remnants of ancient civilization. And uh, recently they unearthed some um, uh, CCTV footage from um, this incident in the life of Jesus uh, in the temple when he was speaking with the Pharisees. And for those of you who didn't catch that, that's a joke. Because there was no CCTV footage, but one of the great things that's happened in the in recent years is that people have uh, got together and used their creative skills in acting and filming and videoing. And so, there's a group of people that um, a number of years ago, not that long ago, but you'll see from the footage that it's it's not current, it's not the latest, greatest, but it is good footage. What they did was they had a group of actors, word for word, uh, speak and act the Gospel of John, according to the NIV version, New International Version, so what they did. And so what I want to show you right now is this section of John chapter 5 that, um, that these people did. And uh, interestingly enough, just a bit of a disclaimer... Uh, these people were all uh, major theatre actors from the Royal Shakespearean Society. So if you hear hints of English accents rather than Middle Eastern accents, that's because that's what they were. But they're very good actors uh, as they do this. So we, it opens with... Uh, the last little bit where Jesus, of the healing of the man at the Pool of Bethesda, uh, where Jesus speaks to the man and tells him to get up, and then it's going to continue on through to the end of the chapter. So let's watch this together. and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk.
1: The day this happened was a sabbath so the jewish authorities told the man who had been healed this is a sabbath and it is against our law for you to carry your mat the man who made me well told me to pick up my mat and walk who is the man who told you to do this but the man who had been healed did not know who jesus was for there was a crowd in that place and jesus had slipped away Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple.
2: You are well now, so stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you.
1: Then the man left and told the Jewish authorities that it was Jesus who had healed him. they began to persecute Jesus because he had done this healing on a Sabbath Jesus answered them my father is always working and I too must work this saying made the Jewish authorities all the more determined to kill him not only had he broken the Sabbath law but he had said that God was his own father And in this way had made himself equal with God. So Jesus answered them.
2: I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing on his own. He does only what he sees his father doing. What the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son. And shows him all that he himself is doing. He will show him even greater things to do than this. And you will all be amazed. Just as the father raises the dead and gives them life in the same way the son gives life to those he wants to nor does the father himself judge anyone he has given his son the full right to judge so that all will honor the son in the same way as they honor the father whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him I am telling you the truth those who hear my words and believe in him who sent me have eternal life They will not be judged, but have already passed from death to life. I am telling you the truth. The time is coming. The time has already come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear it will come to life. Just as the Father is himself the source of life, in the same way he has made his Son to be the source of life. And he has given the Son the right to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be surprised at this The time is coming when all the dead will hear his voice And come out of their graves Those who have done good will rise And live And those who have done evil Will rise And be condemned I can do nothing on my own authority I judge only as God tells me So my judgment is right Because I am not trying to do what I want but only what he who sent me once if I testify on my own behalf what I say is not to be accepted as real proof but there is someone else who testifies on my behalf and I know that what he says about me is true John is the one to whom you sent your messengers and he spoke on behalf of the truth it is not that I must have a human witness I say this only in order that you may be saved John was like a lamp burning and shining And you were willing for a while to enjoy his light. But I have a witness on my behalf, which is even greater than the witness that John gave. What I do, that is the deeds my father gave me to do. These speak on my behalf and show that the father has sent me. And the father who sent me also testifies on my behalf. You have never heard his voice or seen his face. And you do not keep his message in your hearts, for you do not believe in the one whom he sent. You study the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. And these very scriptures speak about me. Yet you are not willing to come to me in order to have life. I am not looking for human praise. But I know what kind of people you are. And I know that you have no love for God in your hearts. I have come with my father's authority. But you have not received me. When, however, someone comes with his own authority, you will receive him. you like to receive praise from one another, but you do not try to win praise from the one who alone is God. How then can you believe me? Do not think, however, that I am the one who will accuse you to my father. Moses, in whom you have put your hope, is the very one who will accuse you. If you had really believed Moses, you would have believed me, because he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how can you believe what I say?
0: I hope that brought it to life for you a bit more. You get to see kind of an experience what it was like and it would have... It, would have taken place in the temple courts and there would have been all of that that was happening at that time, that moment, that interaction. So I hope you caught something of, of Jesus in the middle of that, of his strength and his dignity and his, the power of his words and his proclamation and as well something of how uh, confronting it was to, to everybody at that moment as he's speaking and proclaiming these things about himself. There's a couple of things I want you to take away today, and, it, and it's to do with listen and live. It's to do with the, this invitation of Jesus, which I'm going to explain in a moment, but if you look at the image behind me, you can see he's reaching and he's inviting you into something as he invites all people into something. But this reality of listen and live. This all begins with this healing of the man. The explanation and Jesus calling God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Now, to put this in a bit of context and perspective, of course, we know that Jews are monotheists. Mono meaning one, theist meaning God. So they believe in one God. Of course, Uh, Israel is occupied at this time by by Romans, influenced by the Greeks. So the Greco-Roman culture is pantheists, pan meaning many gods. It's kind of the culture that we live in. People are saying you can pick any god. It doesn't matter. They all lead to the same place. Any detailed examination of the different religions will lead you to a completely different conclusion because they all claim exclusion. We claim that as followers of Jesus. And here we have a Jewish man standing in the Jerusalem temple claiming equality with the one true God. And for the Pharisees of the day, for the religious leaders of the day, which in many ways are like our modern day parliamentarians, it was the height of blasphemy, deserving of death. And so the question confronting them is, what do you do with a man who claims equality with God? What do you do with a man who claims equality with God? Well, the obvious answer is you kill him. That's what you do with the man who claims he's equal with God. You have to decide, in the words of C.S. Lewis as Lewis says you have to decide, is he a liar, is he a lunatic, or is he who he claims to be, which makes him Lord of all, and therefore you bow down and worship him. There is no other alternative, liar, Lord, or lunatic. And so you have to say, well, what evidence does he have? And if you, as Jesus begins to unpack in this explanation, you, you, he points to miracles, and up until this point, remember, what's he done? What are the miracles he's done up to this point? How many of them are there? There's seven in the gospel of John. How many has he done so far? Three. Very good. Very good. Why did John write his gospel? Yep, that's the short answer. The longer answer is, so that you may know that he is the son of God and believing in him, you will have life in his name. So life is a key word that comes through. So the miracles that Jesus has done, let's refresh them. He's taken a water truck and turned it into a wine truck. He's, taken, he's healed a boy who's sick in Capernaum while he's in the village of, of Cana. And he's healed him with a word without even going near him. And now he's raised this crippled man to life. He's been teaching. He's been in the temple. He's been overthrowing the the temple courts, the things that are being done there because they're stopping people from coming and praying. Instead of it being a meeting place, they've turned it into a marketplace. Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching them about who God is. He's been teaching his disciples He points to some witnesses, because it's so important in the Old Testament, the principles established very much. You don't believe anything unless you've got two witnesses. And so this is part of what Jesus is doing. So he talks about John the Baptist as a testimony, as one who testifies, but he also says his miracles and his teaching are testimonies of, of him, that they, and so they can be trusted. And then at the end of that scene, as you saw, there's this marvelous confrontation where these people who are so steeped in the law of Moses, Jesus says, it's Moses who's going to condemn you, not me. I mean, that is like, like that's intense, as you saw in that clip. Jesus is saying, I am the son of man. That's another intense moment because that's another claim about divinity. We're going to unpack that in a minute. So Jesus makes this claim in verse 22. Please, if you've got your Bibles, open them. Keep them open. John 5, we'll go through this, very, this passage, not in detail, but we'll do some overview statements. So verse 22, Jesus says, The Father has given the Son absolute authority to judge. That's a powerful claim, isn't it? I'm the, the man standing in front of you, not me, Jesus, Jesus saying, this man saying in front of me, I've been given absolute authority from the Father, the, the God who created and spoke the world into being. I've been given absolute authority to judge everybody. It was A.W. Tozer that said, the basic concept of judgment is simply that human beings are morally accountable. The basis of this accountability is the fact that we have life derived from another and not from ourselves. We didn't give ourselves life. We have life from, as a result of someone giving us life. And because our life has come from another, we have moral responsibility to the one who gave us life. That's how A.W. Tozer put it. So this idea, the concept of judgment, is simply that we're morally accountable to the one who gave us life. Now, when you, when you sever that cord and you begin to think that you have life because of some other reason other than it's a gift to you from God, you will do things that ought not to be done. Many people in the world today are crying out for justice and yet at the same time as people are crying out for justice, they're refusing to be accountable to the God who gave them life. They do not want to be accountable to the God. They want to do what they want to do, but they want some kind of justice. And people in Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and you're in Christ, as well as those outside of Christ, have a moral responsibility to the God who gave us life. And Jesus goes on and he says that his voice raises people from death to life. And to God's judgment and God's reward or condemnation. And Jesus says, my judgment is perfectly just. I want to think for a moment, a couple of things about Jesus' voice. Because in verses 25 to 29, he talks about his voice raises all the dead with his voice. As we said, my voice will raise all the people from the dead. The dead will hear my voice and those who listen will live. Again, this is an incredible statement, isn't it? From a human being to say, All the dead will hear my voice and they will listen and live. Now, some of you who've skipped ahead in John, you've already gone to John 11.43, haven't you? Yeah. Lazarus, come out! And what happened? He came out. Lazarus came out from the tomb. We're going to come to Lazarus in a couple of months, probably. I don't know. But we'll get to that story eventually. But Jesus is speaking more than Lazarus. He's, speaking that, he's saying that all the people that have ever lived up until that moment in time, that will ever live until he returns, all of them will be raised from the dead by his voice. This is great and glorious good news. You think about it. Every Australian, Indigenous and others, will hear his voice and come out of the grave. Every Indian person, however many billion, one point something billion there are, Indians will hear his voice. Every Swiss Nigerian, Chinese, Indonesian, Austrian, South African and Argentinian will hear his voice and will come up out of the graves. The rich and the powerful people, the poor and the powerless, tradies, engineers, teachers, pastors, media personalities, everyone will hear Jesus' voice and rise again. Bonhoeffer, Mother Teresa, Rosa Parks, Hudson Taylor, Princess Diana, all of them. John Piper says this, Jesus is universally superior to all these people, universally superior to all these people, and he is universally sovereign over all these people. Jesus raises them all. Jesus is talking about the God who spoke into the chaos of Genesis 1, 3 and said everything was formless and chaotic. And he said, let there be and there was. This is what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming, I am that one that spoke and I will be the one who speaks and the dead will rise. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He sustains everything by the voice. By his voice he sustains everything. John Piper again says it's right to stand in awe of Jesus and to stand in awe of the power of his voice. His voice raises the dead. The dead come to life. Decomposed bodies come to life. When Jesus speaks, all the dead will be raised. Now we go on into verse 27. And Jesus makes this statement about, I'm the son of man. And those of you that know this know that he's speaking from Daniel 7. Especially verse 13. Let's just read a few of these verses from Daniel 7. It's Daniel has has been given a vision and he says, I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. Ancient one is meaning God. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him, many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened He goes on in verse 13, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And so as Jesus stands in the temple on that day and speaking in that context in the Pharisees and when he says, I'm the son of man, they know that this is what he's talking about. They know this is the claim. He's claiming that he's that man that has access to the very presence of God, a man walking into the presence of God, welcomed into the presence of God, a man given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, the man whose rule is eternal and whose kingdom will never be destroyed. It's an audacious claim. So to, to claim to be this man, the son of man, you are either a liar, a lunatic, or you are really him. And the evidence indicates that Jesus is really Him. He is that one. He is raising the dead. Everyone's going to hear His voice. Everyone's going to be raised to life. Everyone's going to be re- receive a just and appropriate response from God. That's the warning. You see, when you live in this place, you live with a confidence because it's like I'm looking forward. to to being raised to life because I'm living for him. I have a confidence before him that I will receive from him complete justice in that way. I have nothing to fear. But if I'm trying to live a different kind of life, if I'm trying to live one thing on the outside, one thing on a Sunday morning and different the rest of the week, you ought to be trembling right now. Because there won't be anywhere to hide. And one of the things we speak continually to our politicians is, you will be held accountable and responsible for the laws that you pass. Not just by the, the, the democratic process in terms of we'll vote you out at the next language, but by the God who gave you life and you are morally accountable under him. He will hold you accountable. We're just warning you of that reality. We're saying you need to live and to govern with that reality. This is a powerful claim and one that we ought to encourage all of us who are in Christ to be joyful and delighted in that reality. In that image behind me, in Jesus holding out his hand, It could also be an invitation to a dance. And I want to take a few moments to talk about dancing. But it's the kind of dancing where two people move in seamless unity, in time with one another and the music, the flawless execution of a dance has been practiced over hours and hours. And in John 5, Jesus begins to explain how he and the Father are one, how they think and they move as one, how they honour one another, how they act as one. Now, in in the church, as the church continued to unfold and gain understanding of who Jesus was, Based on his teaching, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they had to figure out some new language to explain that they worshipped one God, but a God who'd revealed himself as Father, Son and Spirit. And God wasn't three, but he was one. And eventually they've developed this magnificent term that we use today, the Try unity, the Trinity. We say God is Trinity. He's an eternal, singular being of three in one. Now, eventually the church developed an official statement called the Athanasian Creed. How many of you have read Athanasian Creed? Not many. I hope you will after today. It's named in honor of a man called Athanasius who is a champion of God's oneness. As people were trying to separate out, and there's all kinds of false teaching in the church about the nature and character of God that's not helpful. And Athanasius was arguing all the time, uh, debating other Christians, other Christian leaders who were leading people astray into thinking they they were separating out the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And Athanasius was a champion of this. Listen to the opening paragraph of the National Athenian Creed. Now, before I read it to you, heads up. It uses the word Catholic, which at that time simply means broad or universal. So when you hear that word, do not think of Roman Catholicism. That's not what's being referred to here. It did not exist at this time. Catholic simply meant the broad church. Here we go. The opening paragraph of the Athanasian Creed. Whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the Catholic faith. Anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. Now, this is the Catholic faith that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co eternal. The Athanasian Creed is a magnificent statement. It's a very important statement. And I think the church is greatly at risk because we have lost some of this. There are many streams in the body of Christ today who are unfamiliar with the Athanasian Creed, as you just discovered yourselves are unfamiliar with it. We take it it as an assumption that we understand what it means to say God is one, but he is a triune God. The Athanasian Creed was meticulously crafted to prevent people falling into wrong ways, unbiblical ways of thinking about God. The God of the Bible is one. And I want to encourage you to get to know this creed, to make sure you are thinking rightly about God as Father, Son and Spirit. Is it, they, they spent a lot of time, I've just given you the opening paragraph, and then they take each paragraph I take more paragraphs and explain and unpack how the Trinity works. But let's come back to dancing. The early church used the word perichoresis, which is on the screen behind me, to capture this oneness of the Trinity. It's a beautiful word. Perichoresis. Have you perichoresis? Peri is the word that means around. Choresis means Dance. So it's a word that says dance around and, and how they conceived of it was Father, Son and Spirit, if you like, moving in perfect symmetry and harmony together such that it's kind of a blur. You can see that there's more than one dancer, but it's, they're moving so fast and so together that it looks like there's one. Now, that's a, it's, a, it's not an exact thing, but it's It's a way to capture it if you think about the it as the God who dances, and I love that image i 'm a horrible dancer, but if you think about our God as a beautiful dancer and the father and the Son now in a couple of when we get to John 14 and Jesus begins to talk about to the disciples, he begins to say, "I'm going away, but that's that's good news for you because I'm going to send the Spirit, but the Spirit's going to show you the Son. He's going to make the things that I've known. He's going to honor, the Son honors the Father, and so in when you're reading through John's Gospel and even the chapter five today, we've got this wonderful thing where Jesus is saying, "The Father's given everything to me, but I only do what I say, what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying." And there's this beautiful symmetry and movement and unity together. Many people have tried to write, have written about this, the beautiful Trinity. Here's a couple of quotes to whet your appetite. This first one by a gentleman called Baxter Kruger. This is what Baxter wrote. Before the universe came to be, Before the heavens were called forth with stars and moons. Before the earth was carved in infinite beauty. And human life was fashioned with style and grace and glory. Before there was anything, there was the great dance of life shared by the Father, Son and Spirit. Now listen to this. This is... In staggering and lavish love, this God determined to open the circle and share the Trinitarian life with others. As an act of mind-boggling and astounding philanthropy, the Father, Son and Spirit chose to create human beings and share the great dance with them. Oh, this is so good, so important. So important that you understand that following Christ is so much more than thinking rightly and having the right understanding of the Bible. It's about being caught up into the dance of God. Learning the steps so that we keep in time with the Father, Son and Spirit. That's really what it's about. Jurgen Schultz wrote this in terms of the same thing. The triune God lives in an incomparable celebration of eternal joy. Could you just stop there for a moment and listen to that again? The triune God lives in an incomparable celebration of eternal joy. So many people wrongly think of God as angry and mad and sad. He's not. He lives in an incomparable celebration of eternal joy. The Father, the Son and the Spirit have a rich and overflowing life with us or without us. They did not decide to create us for their benefit but for ours because that is how God lives. This is how God loves. Schultz concludes and he says... The father lives for the son and the son lives for the father and they share all things together in the spirit, not self-centered, but other-centered. This is the glory of what we're called to as we follow Christ. It's the, the, the eternal dance that human beings are created for, the perichoresis to dance around in the Godhead, to enjoy and delight ourselves in him now and for eternity. That's what we're invited into. We need to recover this. New Life Church, we're not very good dancers as a church. But we need to first of all learn to dance in our hearts with the Father, Son and the Spirit. We need to learn to dance in worship and rhythm that rhythm of flowing with him this this thing of not being self centered but other centered because that is who God is this this so important um, that we understand this this th- I was thinking a few weeks ago when I spoke to you and I was saying we, we need to be Bereans in terms of the songs that we're singing and I'm just thinking of that, that terrible lyric that you didn't want heaven without us so you brought heaven down. It's, it's just not that at all. They invited us into the dance. The dance goes on with us or without us. The dance is eternal and the dance is glorious. It's everlasting. The dance is complete in itself. So this wonderful thing, it's like, oh, how, gr- how wonderful, God. What, what dignity you give me to say, I want you to come and dance with me. That's what the Father, Son, and the Spirit are saying. Well, I'm inviting you into the, our eternal dance. We'll go to the last slide, thanks. What do you do with a man who claims equality with God? Was the question I was began with. And we have to decide, is he a liar, a lunatic or Lord? In John 5, Jesus said that all the dead will hear his voice and rise again and some will experience eternal life and others will experience their just judgment. And so for all of us, it's just a reminder today. Or maybe for the very first time, now is the time to surrender to Jesus and to worship and obey him, to listen and live. Because one day you will hear his voice, you will rise from the dead and you will either enter eternal life or condemnation. Today is that day when we're being invited into the great dance of life with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This incomparable celebration of eternal joy. Listen to Jesus and live. Listen deeply to him and live. When you go home today, take out John 5 and read it through slowly and listen to him and live. Think about the dynamics between the Father and the Son and the Spirit that Jesus is un- unpacking. Think about what it means to be caught up in the dance. You stand with me, I want to pray. As we close and the worship team can come. Just invite you to pause for a moment. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, Son, and Spirit, glorious, eternal, dancing, joyful God, thank you for opening your eternal triune being and inviting us into your dance. Help us join the dance. Help us hear Jesus' voice today. So that we will live forever and enjoy the eternal dance. Amen.